Hi, everybody. A quick message before we begin today's podcast. We have just released a free mini training called How to Work with Labor Pain to Have a Positive Birth Experience. Stay tuned for the end of the episode for more information. Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners to the podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about all the awkward conversations you may or may not be having with your teen. And no, it's not just the like birds and bees conversation. My guest today is Dr. Erin Twinkle. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking all things teen. What I do. <laughs> yes. And like, I think, you know, well, I've had the pleasure to chat with you in advance of this podcast. And I'm like, yeah, these are like things we may or not may not even necessarily be thinking about as important conversations, but are so important, but mm. also like awkward and like we're older and may like not know what it's like to be like a teen in like this new modern setting kind of thing. And like, how do we talk about it? So Mm -hmm. before we dive like in to deep head first, I figured like, tell us a little bit about you and like, what got you so passionate about working with teens? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty common. It all starts with your own experience and your own journey. Um, And that's kind of how I shouldn't say fell into it, but when I realized like, I need to work with teens. For me, it was kind of like a reflection process because I found my 20s a real, like end of teens, like early 20s, like, you know, that failure to launch, like you're out of the house, college, university, they were really a real struggle for me, like body image issues, which then led to bulimia and depression. And it took a long time, lots of treatment and therapy and all the things, right? And it wasn't until I was like in naturopathic medical school that I even realized all the pieces. And so after kind of looking back and, you know, being like, hey, how did I get here? Because I'm at heart a questioner. I like to know why, how, and as a clinician, that's what I do. So when I was going through it, it's like, hey, how did I get here? And then it turned into how do I help other people not get there? (laughs) How can we change this experience for others? Um, And it made me realize like, yeah, it kind of started in adolescence, right? Adolescence is a big shift in one's life in terms of like their brain development, your physical body goes through a lot of change, which we don't really do a great job of talking about. So there's a lot of changes that happen. And I feel like not a lot of great tools are given to teens to support all those changes. So at first I was like, my, my kind of preliminary focus is like, you know, if I can just prevent like one young woman from having to deal with an eating disorder, like I win at life. Right. Like that was for me, I was like, cause that is miserable. And there's so many pieces that go along into that. And then once I started working with teens and I started researching more and doing extra learning on like teen health and medicine in general, it just opened up this whole amazing 
world of like, wow, now I understand why it was so challenging because the, the brain development that's happening and the physical development that's happening, there's really this amazing opportunity that we can have. And it's this window of time, right? Where their brains remodeling and we have so much opportunity to give our teams these amazing tools that will serve them for the rest of their life. Like it's lifelong impact within this like eight year window, which excites me. And, and I'm also thinking, you know, on the like parental side, you know, like it's so much change happening for teens and like how, you know, how do I support them? Because, you know, like we, we also have like labeled this group as like problematic. Oh, just wait till until they get into their teens. Right. Oh, like yeah. you hear that kind of stuff all or like variations of this kind of underlying tone of like, this is going to be really hard and, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be hard for them. It's hard for you. And like, you know, you just got to make quote unquote air quotes, make it through this phase. Yeah. Ugh, yes. That is a huge piece. I talk about it because that is intention with any scenario makes a really, really big impact and a lot with our teens. So much so there was this really interesting study that really has stuck with me. And they looked, they took kind of two subgroups of parents whose kids were like, you know, grade seven, grade eight. And they asked them, what do you think it's going to be like having teens or what's your viewpoint on adolescence? And there were parents who were like, Oh, it's going to be terrible. Teens are awful, blah, blah, blah. Insert all the negative stereotypes about teens. Whereas the other group was like, you know, it's going to be interesting. I'm curious. Like, I'm not worried about it. And they had a more positive outlook on what that experience could be like. And they followed these families throughout their adolescent experience. And at the end of, you know, that high school timeframe, they went back, questioned them, and then asked, what was your experience? And surprise, surprise, the families who had that negative outlook did have teenagers who were like doing more risk-taking behaviors and they were having a harder time versus the, the families that had a more positive outlook or more of a curiosity were had a more positive experience and they were able to go through adolescence in a less scary way. Um, there's this quote, there's this one woman I love, Lisa Damore, she's a PhD and she has quite a few books out now on teens, mostly female, like teen girls, but it's applicable for most teens, regardless of gender or sex. But she has this awesome quote and I use all the time. She goes, we treat having a teenager like you're hopping on a roller coaster. The whole family gets on and we just white knuckle our way through it. And then we hop off and hope that everyone is a well-developed adult at the end. So my viewpoint is like, if we can change that, yes, it's going to be a roller coaster. Is there going to be ups and downs? Is it going to be challenging at times? Of course. Hello, parenthood. But we can also have it be fun and it can be an experience and we can throw our hands in the air and we can have fun with it. It doesn't have to be this white knuckle scenario and be like, well, I hope that worked, right? Versus going in with some intention, some basic understanding of what's happening developmentally, pulling in support from others, right? And then we can go in with intention. It's not this like, you know, shrug your shoulders and hope for the best scenario. Absolutely. And this is a great kind of like, you know, segue into, you know, expectations of parents and you're talking about like development and milestones. And so maybe we can kind of start on like, 
the side of the parent first, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of delve into like, what are the things that like teens need support with? And we can kind of delve into that, that maybe they didn't consider, but let's start off with like, what can parents sort of expect with their teens and like understanding, like, you know, cause oftentimes we think like, oh, my kids aren't, maybe my kids are, or are not going to want to talk to me about certain things. And like, mm-hmm. what can we sort of what's a good way for parents to kind of have like, okay, you can expect this, this, this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could lay it out and tell you exactly what to expect. So it wasn't scary at all, (laughs) but some good like rules of thumb. Right. And like I said earlier, it's your intention. So my kind of philosophy of life is approach everything with curiosity. And we're always just asking like, what else could this mean? What could this be? Um, I find just going in with a more curious outlook usually ends in less like inflammation, right? Like less intensity. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of rule number, not rule number one, but like philosophy number one. And secondly, like we talked about this the other day is like, do like 10 times more listening than you do talking. We really, and as parents, and this is like the hardest thing is they come to us and they decided to share something and, but we want to turn it into a teachable moment and we go into lecture mode. As soon as you go into any kind of lecture mode with an adolescent, they're, they're tuning you out and then they're less likely going to share stuff in the future. They just want to be heard and they want to be validated and they don't want your solutions because that is actually what's happening at the level of their brain development is their brain is going from being a child to transforming and to be an adult, to be able to, you know, take care of themselves and potentially their own family. So they're practicing that they're practicing going to others for advice and they are intentionally not seeking advice from their like immediate parents or caregivers, like in, I mean, not intentionally developmentally, they're not doing it. They don't want advice from their caregiver or parent. They're going to go to a friend. They're going to go to a mentor. They're going to go to a coach. They're going to go outside of the home because they're basically putting out feelers for like, well, who's my, you know, village going to be, or who's the people that I can depend on and, and how else can I find information and, and how else can I, you know, find my way through this. And the biggest, the third thing would be, we really, they really do not want to feel childish in any way. They're really trying to let go of like, the child dependent things, anything you can do that can promote independence, like in a safe way that you know that they are capable of doing um, and just really not making them feel childish about things. There's another good analogy in terms of like what to expect um, with, with teens. Imagine you as the parent are walls of a pool. Okay. And the water is like the world. So when they're little, they have to hold on to you when you're really supporting them and you're helping them float and you're doing all the things, right? They need, they're holding on to you at the wall, right? The whole time, because they can't swim yet. But as adolescents, now they're like, well, I think I can swim. Like how long could I swim in the deep end? And they're out and they're splashing and they're enjoying themselves. But every once in a while, they need to catch their breath. So they'll latch onto you and there'll be this moment of connection where you're like, oh, there's my eight-year-old, my 10-year-old. And you'll have this moment where they're like, they look, they're asking for advice or they might actually come in for a hug or some kind of like closeness. Cause they're just, they need a break, but they're going to have a real quick, immediate 
push off the wall because like, oh, I felt childish there for a minute. I want to got to get back in the deep end. And as a parent, you'll feel it like they'll pick a minuscule fight or they'll, they'll make a rude comment. And it's usually after this like moment of connection where they're like, whoa, I feel like a kid. I, I got to jump back in the deep end. And that's be prepared for that. Right. Still setting boundaries and calling them on like inappropriate behavior. And it doesn't mean they get to treat you like crap or say rude things, like still hold your boundaries and call them on it, but kind of anticipate that it's going to be a real push pull because there's, they still need you, but then they're going to like, I feel childish. I need to like push off and not feel childish. So they'll do it really intensely. Everything about adolescence is, um, Another awesome person, if you want to do more reading in terms of like brain development is uh, Dan Siegel. He has this beautiful book called Brainstorm and he talks about the emotional spark, right? Instead of saying like teens are volatile or teens are this, he's like, they have a spark, right? They have quick access to emotion and, and they're outside the box thinkers and they're passionate and they really have a spark for life. That's what they have, right? So, and with that mindset, with that focus of like, that's what it is versus like, oh, they're hormonal or they're emotional or no, they have a spark and we want to, you know, how can we navigate that? I, uh, as you say that the, literally the visual image in my mind is, um, I don't know if anybody's ever watched how, um, neurons, like how connections are made in the brain. So I, I visualize like two like axons and like they're moving and squiggling through the air and all of a sudden they like make a connection and it's Mm -hmm. like that spark where like the neuro connection is sort of made and you're right they're practicing right they have Mm -hmm. like ideas that we've taught them ideas that other people have taught them Mm -hmm. now they're like in their own situations and Mm -hmm. like you know they're trying to figure out and piece together things that they've learned or may have experienced and the brain's like trying to figure out like, what's the next best thing? And have I been here before? Like, what do I do? And then, so right. The brain's trying to make new neural mm-hmm. connections. And mm-hmm. then when they make one, it's like, ping. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Anyways, that was the, that that's yeah. the, that's the, the neuroscience, <laughs> the visual that I'm getting there. But that um, is what it's like. And that's also genuinely what's happening. Cause like I said, their brain is remodeling from top to bottom, completely rewiring, um, I often remind parents or not remind them, but teach them because we're not taught this, right? It's not like general knowledge. So the part of your brain, that's kind of like at the brainstem where like your lizard brain, it's all fight or flight. And that's the part that lights up first. (laughs) So everything a teen, like anything that's coming in, any kind of stimulus, they basically, it's going through their brain in terms of like, Ooh, is this danger? That's why they are very, reactive. That's why there's that spark because everything that comes in, even though it's not a saber tooth tiger is coming in at them as if everything is a saber tooth tiger. And they're practicing using what we call our prefrontal cortex, which really doesn't get developed till you're like almost 25. Right. So until you're like 25, that higher level decision-making ability to use more logic doesn't come into play till later, but they have to practice it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the parents come in And you get to practice and remind them, right? Like check your feelings first because everything they come at is coming with like intense emotion and no logic. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the rational brain's coming online much, much later. Mm -hmm. And yeah, 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 totally. And that's just really good to just highlight. And I think, again, this is not like 
this isn't common knowledge. Like this isn't stuff that we're like told, you know, as parents transitioning into that field, like my, my daughter's five. Right. So, you know, I'm not there yet, but I will be there yet. And man, am I glad we're having this talk. (laughs) Right. Before (laughs) we get there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not like, well, I mean, there is no parenting one-on-one manual. I wish, but it's definitely not in there. Right. It's definitely not, Hey, this is how the brain is developing. And this is how we can support it. And that book I mentioned brainstorm talks a lot about like how to support it. The biggest thing you can do because everything is based of emotion for them. It's just, we've talked a lot. I use the word like emotional intelligence or emotional IQ and people may or may not have heard about it, but basically it's your ability to like recognize an emotion, deal with it and regulate and then make a choice. Right. But that takes so much practice. I mean, I didn't even learn about that until I was an adult and had to go back and practice it because it definitely wasn't something I was taught how to do. Right. I think oftentimes it's just like, ignore emotions, ignore emotions, (laughs) right? No, don't ignore them. Learn to recognize them. hundred percent. Yeah. And the easiest thing to do. And with most families that work with the first thing they get is, I mean, you can just Google it. It's called a motion color wheel. And it's just this beautiful, colorful, like rainbow colored wheel and it has like a bunch of emotion descriptors in it, right? And it helps you when you're not sure how you're feeling, but you're feeling something, at least it gives you a visual cue of like, okay, am I mad? Am I sad? Am I frustrated? Do I feel guilty about something? Like, what is the emotion? Because as soon as you can identify it, it's easier to get into that more problem-solving logic brain center versus like pure emotion. And there's physiology with the emotion, right? Exactly. That like makes it in some cases really it can be uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. there might be sensations that they're maybe not experienced before or like overwhelming sensations mm-hmm. associated with anger. Like there's a physio like heart rate or you know, feels yeah. like the blood is leaving your hands and feet or you're like really shaky and wonky and all of a sudden like am I dying? Like what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, getting to know and be able to like have some context to build around that is going to start lighting up different areas of the brain, which is going to start bringing other things online. Mm -hmm. Because if it was a saber tooth tiger, I probably wouldn't be standing trying to like think this through. So it confuses the nervous system and says, obviously this is not a saber tooth tiger. It's probably just a little kitten Mm -hmm. because you're not freaking out. Like you're Mm -hmm. taking time to like ground and center and be like what's going on so so it's interesting because it you know there's the emotional piece there's the physiological piece and like getting all of those systems like identified and online is yeah a whole other a whole other scale right and it takes lots of practice and the beautiful thing about well parenting in general is you get so many opportunities to practice this with your kids because often what i'm seeing is the parents are learning these skills at the same time that their teen is right Or maybe you've learned this like earlier in your parenthood experience, right? Maybe you've been doing it since your kid was five. But as they become teens, because they have like obviously way more words and they're vocal and they're trying new things, like every argument, every fight, every disagreement is an opportunity for you to model emotional intelligence and and model that emotional regulation. Mm. So like a classic example is like time for dinner kid slams the door or like won't do comforting her. And then you get frustrated and you say, well, you're just being lazy and sitting in front of the TV. And then you're like, oh, that wasn't what I wanted to say. Then you as the parent go and 
you check in and you connect and you correct. You say, I'm sorry. I didn't want to call you lazy. You're not lazy. I apologize for saying something hurtful without the but. Genuinely apologize for your mistake. Don't say but because you weren't listening. Just say it. You're modeling to them. Oh, you also can flip your lid and you can also have feelings and say, I felt frustrated. I said this. I apologize. You know, it's time for dinner. Would you please come join us? Yeah. Right. Totally neutral, like as neutral as you can stay always, especially when they're ramping up, up, up. The best thing for the parent, and it's so hard, is to try to stay level calm. Yeah. Don't meet them at that level. It's, and you're not, every time it's not going to work. But that's the beauty. Even when it doesn't work, it does work because then you get the opportunity to model to them what happens when we lose our cool, so to speak, because we all do it. And that's okay. They're not wrong. They're not bad. It's normal to have outbursts of anger, frustration, but (laughs) this is how we can repair. This is how we can re-regulate. And then by doing that, then they don't get left with like guilt and shame about having, right? Like we can stay away from those more damaging emotions, right? hundred percent. My next question is from the perspective of like, if a parent like obviously sees their child, like their teen is not coming to them, or maybe they find out that they're talking to somebody else about things and you sort of feel like, well, I should be the one, you know, sharing this, like, so either that, or like, you know, my kid just doesn't talk to me at all. Like I don't have any clue what's going on. I try to engage, they disengage, like what, it's going on and yeah. at, like, you know, what, what, you know, what words of uplifting or like encouragement mm. can we offer parents in those situations? Absolutely. And first of all, like we said earlier, like it is normal, right? Like, and it's yeah. going to feel like all of a sudden they woke up one day and they didn't talk to me anymore. Like that's a, a common thing I hear. Now there's a few things we want to pay attention to. Like if they're fully disengaging from everybody and they're more isolating and you know, are you worried about depression or is there, is there something going on, right? That you need to kind of, then you got to pull them into the pediatrician or your, your healthcare practitioner or whatever, when they're disengaging from everything, but if they're still connecting with their friends or, you know, they're talking to their teachers or peers and it's just you <laughs> that <unfortunately, sorry. laughs> it might be just you, it might, that's normal. Right. And, but also on the flip side of that, expect them not to open up and share every juicy detail but still make sure that, you know, within your week, they are having regular, like almost like a ritual moment in your schedule where there is just you and your child or your, your teen, right? So whether it's like every Saturday you drive them to their job or, you know, whatever extra quickly you're doing, or, you know, take opportunities that they are with you one-on-one and then don't say anything. Car rides are the best for this. The, the more you can drive your teen around, my goodness, that is like the hidden secret. Drive them around, especially their friends, because you hear them and what's going on via what's happening in the back seat, which is genius. Also, they feel less um, uncomfortable talking about things in the car. You don't have to maintain eye contact. There's distractions. They're, often, you'll have the best conversations in a car with your teen, right? But without you can't prompt, it kind of has to happen. If you start mm-hmm. asking them questions, they, they don't respond, but you kind of have to leave it open. 
and make sure that regularly there is opportunity that it's just you and them. Perfect. And it's not going to work always. And sometimes they're not going to talk as soon as they are, but keep the door open. And when they do come to you, because they will inevitably bring something to your attention, do not lecture, do not turn it into a teachable moment. Just listen and be like, wow, that sucks. Or, oh man, I can't believe that happened. Like go back to when you were in high school or like even your bestie comes to you and says, oh man, so-and-so did this. And you just go like, oh yeah, that's so annoying. Like get in that vibe of just listening to them. If it's really sounds like they're coming to you for advice and you're really like biting your tongue hard, be like, Ooh, ask them first. Do you want my advice? Do you want help? And if they say no or sure, like follow them, right? Like ask first before you, you know, lay down the, the teaching opportunity. Yep. And sometimes they will ask for advice. Um, and another great opportunity, instead of just giving them advice, also ask them questions to help them practice that upper level thinking. Like, what do you think? Have them go through like, okay, well, what do you think the outcomes of that would be? Because they don't, because of where they're at in their brain development, they can't always foresee future consequences or understand ramifications of their actions yet but you can walk them through it. And like, if they're up for it, right. If they've engaged and they're like, yes, you know, you'd be like, okay, well, like, what do you think? Right. Or when your team does come to you with like an awkward scenario or awkward question, or like they heard something, you're like, I don't know how to explain this to my 12 or 13 year old, ask them what they know first. Mm. Where'd you hear about it? Well, what do you think it is? And get a feel kind of for where they're coming from. And that can kind of help guide the conversation. Also, if your team does come to you with something, you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to answer it. Tell them you don't know how to answer it. And can we circle back to this in 24 or 48 hours? Make a date, be like, look, I just, I don't know the answer to be honest. Let me go think about it. Let me talk to maybe another parent or someone else. I'm just not sure. Can we talk about this tomorrow after school? Don't yeah, that's a great way. To like be uncomfortable because some of the caution, they, they are awkward, right? Like, especially when like nine or 10 and like they're on the bus, maybe they take a bus to school with older kids and they hear conversations about like sex or like things that you maybe weren't ready for. And they're like, what does this mean? And you're like, Oh my God, I'm not ready. <laughs> Just tell them, be like, you know what? We're going to talk about this tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and go like collect some resources or something. Call a friend. Be like, ah, what do I do? <sighs> totally. Totally. Yeah. We don't have to be perfect at it. No. Um, okay. So my next question is about kind of um, like how to have conversations with your kids about like things that do have consequences, but like without being like, oh, smoking's bad for you or like you're not allowed to do X, Y or Z. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we have those kind of conversations about like here are here are the things we'd like you to stay away from yeah, uh, without like without actually saying here are the things I want you to stay away from. Totally. Cause we all know as soon as you say, don't do this, they're going to want to do that. Part of it is like being really clear with your family and what your family values are right from the get go. And like, as soon as you can, like, and talk about things when you're making decisions of like, Oh, that doesn't align with our values. And I care about this or care about that. That holds weight. Right. In terms of like, as a family unit, as values, like that we care about, that's why I'm not doing this or that. Um, building agreements with your team, right? Like sit down in a conversation, you know, when it comes to curfew or chores or 
behaviors like you do or don't want them to participate in, like whether it's for like smoking or drugs or alcohol, be really clear about what your family values are and how you feel about it. And like, this is the agreement we're coming to, and these will be the consequences, right? So they, they can be pretty clear about that. With that being said, like I said, if as soon as you lay down like a no, you can't do this. We get into this situation and with teens, they love, like I said, they're learning to be adults. They, if you can remember like the Wizard of Oz and the guy behind the curtains, they want to pull the curtain back and see who's pulling the strings. They love exposing like the big brother scenario. Um, and a great example is they um, were trying to figure out ways to get teens to stop smoking, right? We all know smoking long-term is really crap for your health, but as a teen, again, you don't really understand long-term ramifications and you're not thinking about future you having lung cancer. They're just, they literally don't have the capacity to think like that. So their company's like, Hey, how do we get them on board? And they started putting pictures. I'm sure we all remember of like the gross teeth and the black lungs. And that did nothing. It didn't sway them whatsoever. But when they explain to them that the companies are intentionally targeting them and making money off of them, because once you're hooked, then you're like a lifelong user and blah, blah, blah. They were like, oh, right. So as soon as you can kind of expose like the actual truth, then they actually smoking rates went down. Right. And it's, it's the same with even like social media is a big one. Explain to them. Yes. These social media apps are designed to trigger certain psychological pieces that your brain is sensitive to. They're very dopamine focused and your brain is very dopamine sensitive right now, which means in dopamine, like teens typically have heard the word addiction. Like that is, you know, what causes these addiction things is this dopamine centered drive. And that's how social media works. It, it just says dopamine, 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 and you get a hit, hit, hit. And when you kind of explain to them how their brain works and like the companies are using that against you to keep you on the platform longer so they can advertise to you for more, Da, 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 da. they're like, oh, okay. And they'll make, they'll start to make different choices around it. They're more aware of their choices, um, but they need to see it from like a, a bigger picture perspective of like, how are they being taken advantage of? Basically mm. that's what speaks to them. Not, oh, it's going to, you know, decrease your focus or like your long-term ability to do this. They don't care. They just, yeah. not that they don't care. Their brain has not yet figured out how to calculate those long-term consequences, right? And then on the flip side, where you can kind of let your teen have a natural consequence, don't step in, right? If they're not going to hand their paper in on time, stop telling them to hand the paper on time, let them get a crap grade. Like that's a natural consequence. That's them learning, right? Like if you keep telling them, I mean, it gets trickier once they're driving because obviously you want them to be safe, but like if they're going to speed, you're probably going to get a speeding ticket and you're going to have to pay for it, right? Like things, and then you're going to lose privileges to the car, et cetera, et cetera. But like natural consequences are going to help more than anything, right? And you have to let them meet those consequences. You can't, you can't, there's no way to build enough rules to keep them from having those consequences and they won't learn from it. They won't experience it, right? So mm. where we can, like keeping obviously in mind, like safety and we don't, if there's no immediate threat to their physical safety, then let them fail. Yeah. Which is Agreed. so hard. And you want to just like, I want to step in and like, you got to let them. Yeah. You just do. So kind of switching gears mm. into like 
teenage health and like wellness, right? Because usually when we think about like having awkward conversation, like as soon as I say awkward conversation, it's like sex, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's what we sort of think about when we, when we think about like types of conversations we need to have with our teens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in talking with you, like there are some like major pillars. Yeah. That yeah, like was- we're not addressing and should be. So like, what are they? Yeah. Cause like you said, the big thing, but like, okay, teenagers and sex or teenagers and drinking is kind of like what comes to mind. And yes, immediately those are definitely things you're going to have to talk to or outsource. You're not comfortable. Like finding good information for them is, is really important. But if we're thinking like long-term and we think health, we don't want you to just be healthy right now today. At least I don't like I'm thinking what's the long-term access of health that we want teams to have. And with that, they have to understand like their basic foundations going through this period of brain health. So through my practice, like when families on board with me, like I, we kind of go through, like you said, these pillars, one of them is hormones for sure. Right. And that's for both boys and like males and females, right. Whether you're menstruating or not, you still have a hormonal profile, things change, skin gets affected, right. Like things change for sure in terms of hormones. I mean, we could do a whole other discussion on how to talk about like periods with young girls and the myths that are starting that and the stigma. And that's an awkward conversation, right? And our parents who are menstruators did not have these conversations and still in school, they do a pretty crummy job of educating people about menstrual health, right? And like what to expect, what not to expect. So a big part of that pillar is just like education and no, it's not normal to have pain and discomfort and all of these things. So that's a big one, obviously. And then another one is just like, um, I call it good guts, but it's just like, how's your gut health? Are you digesting food? Are you fueling adequately? Um, most teens I see are way underfueled, right? And they end up because they're experimenting and trying their, they tend to want to go to like the hyper palatable foods, right? They call in research where it's like basically burgers and fries, right? So at home, we have to try a little bit harder to provide extra nutrition. So we talk about that. And again, I always say I have the luxury that I'm not these teens parent because they listen to me in a different way. And I warn parents, I was like, just, you know, I'm going to tell your kid things that you've told them probably a hundred times. And they're going to come to you as if they've never heard it before. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I've told you this but because Dr. Aaron said it, it's this whole new thing. But anyway, so we talk about like, why do you have to feel, why do you care? Why do you need vegetables? Why do you need protein? And are you digesting them properly? That's a huge pillar. Um, Social media literacy is another pillar. And I have to, I usually do this with both parents and teens, right? Because the people right now who have teens did not grow up with social media. So they're like, what's the ramifications? I don't understand it. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know what kind of boundaries to set. Like we're all kind of out here not knowing where to go with it. So that literally becomes part of their health plan is how can you critically analyze social media from the parents' lens and the team's lens? Like, how can we talk about this? Cause it is awkward because the parents are just like, well, it's bad. Cause I don't understand it. And like, you're seeing all this crap, which you can be right. Like there's diet culture and, you know, there's just stuff out there. We're just like, oh my gosh, I don't want you exposed to this because it's negative, but it's not about removing the exposure. It's about teaching them how to deal with the exposure. 
right? How can we come become resilient? How can we critically analyze what's coming into us and like just stay curious? Like, huh, what else could that mean? Or why would that advertisement be saying matter? Why am I more interested in this? And just teaching them to question that stuff is such an important skill in today's age of just like so much bombarding us all the time, right? Um, and we talk like sleep hygiene is a huge one for teens. Um, it's normal for teens to want to stay up later. It's like how their brain's developing, their melatonin burst is later. So if we were to like let teens be, they probably wouldn't want to fall asleep till about midnight, which over the pandemic, when teens weren't in proper school, most teens fell into that natural habit of like "Eh, in bed midnight one, and they'd still get their nine to 10 hours of sleep and wake up at like nine or 10. And they were totally functioning really well because that's how, but in our society, school starts way earlier than that. So talking to them about like sleep hygiene and how do we help your brain wind down and and get to sleep before midnight when you have to be up at 7 a.m., right? Um, And those can be awkward conversations because they don't want to. And they're like, well, that's boring or that's lame, right? It's not fun to like have a sleep hygiene schedule and like go to bed on time, (laughs) right? So like, just walking through those pieces is really important. So it's like a, a process that both parents and teens need to learn in terms of like, cause once they know that, like that knowledge is foundational to anybody at any age in your twenties in your thirties in your forties and so on. Right. So if we can teach that to them when they're teens and we literally incorporate it into the way they're developing, it just becomes their, like norm, their foundation. They have access to that forever. Now knowing these integral pieces to what their health can be. Well, you can't take away a level of awareness. Like once you, once you provide awareness about something, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it really, you then automatically start deciding differently because your brain now has this like source of information and it's got like neuron, like it's got stuff going there. And then we're, we're working then to strengthen those connections over time. But like, Mm -hmm. you still can't take away like learning about something. Right. Yeah. Once you know, you can't not know. Yeah. Like once you know something, you can't unknow it. And, and also too, is we will teach them these and they'll hear some of it and they'll do some of it and they will choose to not do some of it. But I full heartedly, like in my soul, know that they will learn this information and they might not act on all of it right away, but they will have it. And when they, their brain fully develops at 25, they will fall back to this. They will fall back to understanding how important sleep is and understanding how important nutrition is. They will, because our bodies know inherently that that is what serves us the best. Right. And they're going to experiment with different things and feel crummy trying one thing and not the other, but when we give them that information, like you said, they know it now. It's inherently in them and they will always have it to fall back on. Yeah, that is really, really important. I think, you know, again, like not no, not necessarily that I would have thought of this, but that critical appraisal piece centered around content, social media mm-hmm. ads, right? Because, you know, you're seeing certain images. And then again, like coupled with like good gut health education and like food education Mm -hmm. plus body imaging like body image things right like the two go together and like how do I feel my body in a healthy way and 
you know, how do I keep my gut really healthy, which could be, and my hormones, like all those things could be impacting weight, Mm -hmm. for example. Right. Um, But like, how do we talk about like what we see and Mm -hmm. like, why is it that we're seeing always the same types of images all the time while explaining you're literally being targeted due to algorithms. Like that is like, that's what's happening here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important for reducing the risks of like, you know, mental health struggles. Absolutely. Well, just pointing out the discrepancies. um, I think actually, I mean, this whole last year, like Glennon Doyle's book Untamed was a big thing, but I remember really, I have the visual memory of reading the one section. I was like, yes, she was at like a bookstore with one of her kids and they're looking at the magazine rack and she makes a point to her kid, like, huh, what do you notice about every single person on these magazine racks? They literally look the same, right? Same style of makeup, exact same body shape, wearing similar clothes. Like they're basically cookie cutters of each other. Really. When we look at who's in a magazine, And then she made a point to say, can I look around the bookstore? What do we notice about the humans actually living around us? They all come in all different shapes and sizes and colors, et cetera. And that's awesome, right? And like, so to try to force yourself into something like that, that's like 1% of people who look like that and 99% of people look completely different. And just starting to point out those things. And the big one that comes around is like diet culture, especially around like, well, it's always after Christmas and in the spring, you know, it's like lose the Christmas weight or do the spring detox and get bikini body ready. And just really pointing those out and be like, you know, diet companies make billions off of us wanting to look a different way. Right. So when your team comes to, it's like, I want to go on a diet or I want to lose weight or I want to do a detox, like ask them why, first of all, Cause sometimes like, oh, well, my stomach hurts or maybe there is something going on that they're, they're trying to figure out. Like I said, always start with a question like, well, why do you want to know that? Or like, where's this coming from? Instead of assuming, right. Cause sometimes it might have nothing to do with actual weight loss or an eating disorder. And actually over the pandemic, um, a lot of teens, when they were hit with stress, they would get sore stomachs and their appetite would go down. But then parents were like, oh my God, they have an eating disorder. And I was like, no, no. Let's talk to them first and see what's going on. And then it's just because they were stressed and their appetite's low. And we had to just have conversations around how we need to make sure we're getting enough fuel and that this is stress and this is how it impacts your body. And then they were like, oh, right. So just understanding those pieces, but really just always, whenever you see it and you think the thought like, oh, that's a damaging advertisement or that commercial was ridiculous. Like, or even when they're very gendered or sexist or misogynist, like, oh, that's why would they say like only girls do this and only boys do this, right? Like letting them critically think about like, oh, you're right. That is a bit of a discrepancy. And teens genuinely, it's another great way to give their brain a dopamine hit, which their brain loves, is to discover new things. They are genuinely really good at thinking outside the box and thinking of things in a different way. And they, they're curious, they have that drive. So to help them build that skill, I also think will be just so beneficial for our culture as a whole, if we're raising critical thinkers in general. 100% mm-hmm. agree. Um, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about the one course in university that was like required to take 
And it was a critical thing. It was literally called critical thinking. Mm-hmm. I have never attended a worse course like, oh, in no. my life. It was like, just read out of the book. And it was like, if A is this and B is this, what would you? And I'm like, this is not helpful at all. This is mm-hmm. not like, this is, I'm like, this is clearly an example of somebody wrote a book and like needed to develop a course and like made it mandatory to collect yeah. money. Like this has, it, I just like, this has no use value for me. Yeah because it's not helping me think critically. So I just like stopped attending the classes. I read the book and was like, if I just get a C, I'm like, you know what I mean? I just need this credit. But like to actually like learn critical thinking skills, like in action, in the moment, like learning how to ask questions and like learning to shift perception and become an observer and become Mm -hmm. like, those are skills that are, so important, but it, it, they, they can't necessarily like just be taught in like a book, right? It's, it's yeah. like a lived experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is, I think, really critical. And I think that's what you're saying as parents yeah. is like creating maybe some opportunities for that lived experience to begin to shift mindset and, and look at things a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just even just, I mean, the biggest thing is just like staying curious and just been like always asking yourself, like, what else could this mean? Or what could this be? If you just stay in that as a parent and then continue your teen as that, that will serve them. And that's an easy thing to remember, right? Like, what could this mean? What is this? What does this do? And just like kind of keep questioning things um, is so valuable. And even with themselves, like, why do I have this feeling? What does this feeling mean? What's this physical sensation in my body, right? Like just noticing things, just becoming self-aware is so valuable. And I think giving them some like foundational pieces also Mm -hmm. later on in life and these questions allows them or teaches them how to ask questions and advocate for their own health. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's another, I'm glad you brought that up. I also really genuinely want teens to be able to advocate for themselves. Like right now I'm advocating for them in hopes that I can teach them to advocate for themselves. And, and, you know, that you serve in women's health, like women. And I say women, cause that's my experience and what I've seen more of definitely happens for males as well, but it's often, Oh, it's all in your head or, you know, it can't be that, or they're just dismissed. And there's tons of research out there now that says like, I mean, women, it takes way longer to get diagnoses. It takes way longer to get access to pain medication. Like, so we really have to help our youth advocate for themselves and be like, I feel like this and I'm sitting up for myself because I don't want to feel like, like something's going on and allowing them to trust their gut instinct is so important because that will serve them long-term, right? Like if we were all allowed to foster that trust of self and like, oh, it's so valuable and you can't teach it or just tell them, but you have to let them live it and let them try and let them follow their gut the wrong way sometimes. And then be like, oh, okay, nope, let's try again. Um, Super important. One last thing I want to touch upon is about like also develop helping them kind of develop like their soul, like, you know, like purpose Mm. and soul Mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah. And that comes with like maintaining curiosity, right? Like, what do you like? What don't you like? What does your gut tell you? And also when they have, when you have a baseline of health, right? Like 
I'm not saying you have to be like, you know, I'm like super healthy, um, like a, a demigod or something, but just like basic understanding of like, I have nutrition, I get sleep, I move my body, you know, I genuinely have a stable mental health, like, you know, real true basics, which is not what people have access to right now, unfortunately, but actual basics. When you have that, it's easy to tap into what lights your fire and it's easy to find passion. It's easy to follow your instinct, especially when you've been encouraged and modeled of listening to your gut instinct and following passion, follow joy and allowing to make mistakes and fail and try again. Just like letting those experiences happen builds joy and builds the ability to find your purpose or your calling or whatever you want to call it. Right. And helps them think on a bigger scale. Right. I mean, as like teens, they don't, they're not quite ready to think big, big. Like if I was to say to like a 16 year old, like, what's your purpose in life? They would freak out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but what do you like, want to do when you grow up? Because right? you're going to have to make this decision at 17. Oh, you're going to have to God. decide where you're going in university. I no. still had like, because we had grade 13, right? Yeah. I still like 18, 19. What do you want to do? No. I don't know. Yeah. No, you don't figure that out until you start experiencing life. And trying things out and asking questions and, yeah. but like letting them and taking advantage, like teens generally, because their brains like dopamine centered, enjoy risk-taking behaviors and allowing them to do and follow that in a safe way. Right. Like, obviously yeah. we don't want you to just like drive without a seatbelt and go 150 kilometers. Some road. No, that's not a safe way to try risks, but we can find lots of other ways to get that same sensation. But what a cool skill and way to maintain life as you move through and like think of the 40 or 50 year old who's just like bored I've been doing the same thing and they get stuck in a rut it's because they've lost that emotional spark we all had as adolescents and sometimes I think that's why older people kind of give teens a hard time almost because it's like oh to have that feeling of just like freedom and creativity and that spark everyone wants to live with the spark, right? So I think we don't want to shut that down. We want to help them develop it and grow it and, you know, not hurt themselves along the way too badly. But we want you to be able to maintain that ability to like think critically and enjoy new experiences and have a a zest for that. Like those are important things to carry on into adulthood, right? It won't be the 50-year-old who's like having a midlife crisis, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have like, you know, there may be parents thinking of like, wow, this is really great. And like, but like, this all sounds like way over, you know, my head. And I don't know if I can (laughs) have all these conversations. I don't have all the information. And like, yes, I agree with you. And like, yes, they need that. And yes, they do this. Can you talk a little bit about your group program? Because I think that might help parents be like, oh, there's something out there that can like, somebody who can help me with this. Right. Well, so like we've said this whole time, teens naturally don't really want to share stuff with their parents. They want to learn and share and get advice from their peers, but their peers are often at the same level of them and don't actually have the experience to give them actual advice. Right. So it's just like the blind, leaving the blind. Um, So we're like, okay, how can we, and when I got thinking like, how can we offer something to families to support them? We want teens to have access to healthy, accurate, empowering information 
but it can't come from their parents. So I can't see the parent and the parent can't relay it to them. So um, Mel Sutherland, who you've had on the podcast before, her and I have co-developed what's called the Teen Collective. And it's basically where we get teens together. So, you know, it's, and it's for right now, it's for girl identifying youth between the ages of like nine to 13. And we teach them these things, Mel and I do, and we're not their parents and they get to learn together. And so far it's been so inspiring to see them actually want to learn this information. Like when we give them choices, like they actually want to talk about sleep and stress reduction, they want the information so we can provide it to them. And then they have each other, their peers now with the accurate information to spread to their other peers. Right. So it becomes this awesome ripple effect because we know they're getting accurate, up-to-date, empowering information um, that they can share with their friends and they're learning it in like a space that's supportive with like Mel and myself right now. And, and they get access to it. And it's been super inspiring to see them really want it and enjoy it. And like having this connection, meeting other girls who are like, like-minded, right. Who also care about it. And, and most times like also their families are like, yeah, we care about health and wellness too, but I don't know how to get my kid on board right? Yeah. So this is a good stepping stone. And we also support the parents. Like there's a, the parents have their own Facebook group. And then Mel and I often give like little lectures and the topics, the parents, the parents also have the talking points, right? Like this is what we covered. You know, a big one is like, for example, we just said like, this is how we talk about nutrition and body image. And how are we talking about it in a positive way and, and getting ourselves out of basically diet culture, which is so infiltrated and like, this is good food versus bad food. And we really want to kind of unlearn some of that food language. So we're giving the parents the language Mm -hmm. also, and then the teens learn it on the side. And then as their teens sprinkle in and say, Hey, I learned this. And the parents are kind of learning it along with them, which is kind of cool Um, in their own separate little bubbles. But then the bubbles kind of get a, you know, an intermingle a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So that it could be, you know, again, further touch points, like in day-to-day life and like, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and just more things like at the end of the day, if you want to take away one thing as a parent, whatever you're modeling, whatever you're doing is going to have the most impact on your team. It's not what you're saying. It's not what you're trying to teach them. It's what you are doing. Are you putting your phone down at dinner? Are you getting to bed and getting sleep? Are you nourishing your body? Are you moving your body? At the end of the day, that will have the most impact. Yeah. Are you practicing emotional intelligence? Are you name calling sometimes and getting frustrated, but then, you know, like correcting those situations? Like, are you modeling what it is you want for them to have? Yeah very kind of important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also, I know you were mentioning you have like a quiz for teens as well that they can do. Can you tell us a little bit about what the quiz is about? Yeah. So, I mean, the sometimes, so this is the other thing is parents hear podcasts like this and they're like, this is so great. But teens are also, I admit at first they're kind of like trepidatious, like what you want me to go talk to who and do what now? Um, and the parents like, oh, I want you to talk to my teen 
because the parents are hearing what we're talking about in terms of like, you know, their future access to health and these health foundations, parents vibe with that. They're like, yeah, of course I want my kid to have that. Right. I want them to be successful in all these things, but the team doesn't care <laughs> about that. Yeah. So I try to find access points for teens. And so you have to find out, is there anything your teen is struggling with? And it usually comes in the form of like acne period cramps or period issues, or if they're an athlete in like sports performance, or are they constipated or having issues with the bathroom? Like those are the types of things that teens care about, right? Like what is their immediate concern? It's very acute. It's very like right now, this is bothering me. They do not care. Well, they don't care. They just don't know like long, long-term what this could matter. So a, I have a quiz that um, parents and teens can do. Oh, Hi, buddy. You're gonna have to go find dad. Sorry, we're interrupted by one of my littles. Um, so quizzes, quizzes. Yeah. So <laughs> one is just for teen skin. Like, first of all, sometimes it's just knowing like what skin type do you have. Like, it's really basic. Like, is it oily? Is it dry? And and in there, it kind of busts busts some myths about teen skin because it's like, oh, we assume that if you have pimples, you have oily skin. So let's dry it out. So I give some pointers in the quiz of like, if you have this type of skin, here's some great products to start with, et cetera. So it's a good touch point to get them started. Um, is, and it's free and you're going to share the link in the show notes and they can just go, what's your skin type? Let's get you started with some products. Sometimes it's a good, um, entry into them seeing a practitioner like myself. Right. Um, and then I talk about all the other things that we've been talking about today, but at first we have to meet them where they're at. Right. Or sometimes I've had teens who actually care about sleep, right? Like I can't fall asleep. I'm up till 1am and I'm feeling tired. Um, so often, you know, they'll come in for that reason. And another great resource for parents is I have a free Facebook group. It's called, um, Oh, I forget what it's called. Um, Raising me, means like the ins, the outs and the house. It's a really long name. I should change it. Anyways, the link is in the show notes. Come join me there. Um, and I, yeah, have it's, a, it's a raising resilient teenagers. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. That's the Facebook group. And it's just for parents who have teens or caregivers of teens, or if you have a teen in your life that you're like a mentor of, and you just want to learn more, it's for those people as well. Um, and I have a bunch of videos. I've interviewed other professionals on like sleep and, you know, creating healthy boundaries and how do we like, there's a ton of information just in that free Facebook group as well. Um, and then another thing I talk a lot about, especially, you know, with the teen collective, it's, it is more like girl identifying based, um, a whole teen period, quick start guide. Getting your first period is very anxiety provoking. A lot of teens, they have questions. I don't know what to do. And parents aren't sure how to talk about it because they didn't have great conversations growing up with it. So it's just kind of a quick start guide, more about busting myths. Cause there's a lot of myths. We're just like passing along the next generation in terms of what to expect and what not to expect. And in the same theme of like, if you tell someone it's going to suck, it's probably going to suck. If you tell someone it can be a more positive experience, it's probably going to be a more positive experience. So it kind of gives you some language and what to expect. Like what is because a teen period looks a bit different than an adult period and kind of what do we look for? What are like some red flags? Like when do I have to bring my teen into the doctor to talk about a period and that kind of thing? Um, so those are all linked. If people want to grab a copy of those in, right in the show notes, mm-hmm. all the links are there for the quizzes, for the Facebook yeah. group, um, for the teen period, quick start, yeah. um, 
and uh, Instagram and website yeah. handle as well. If you're looking for more information, I'm assuming if more information about the teen collective is available for the parents on the website. Yes. And mostly on Instagram. So at Dr. T Winkle, follow me there. And I have links to get on wait lists. Like our next teen collective is launching October. Um, so soon. Um, and they can just grab the link in my bio on Instagram to sign up for that. Amazing. Yeah. We'll be having info sessions about it, um, towards the end of the month or end of September. So people can easily come hang out with us, um, for some master classes, and then we'll get more information with team collective and how you can get your team involved. Cool. And I'm assuming like in your Facebook group and like Instagram, you'll be posting those yeah, uh, info yeah. sessions. So, be there. Absolutely. Yeah. so yeah. if you want to know what's going yeah. on, you got to click the buttons. Exactly. Right. Like you got to click the links. Yeah. You got to follow. Otherwise, you know, you're you can't, you can't, up. you're going to, you, you can't <laughs> be in the know. Okay. That's right. You got to be in the know. Um, and I mean, worst case, if you're like, well, that's too much clicking, just like uh, throw me a DM. Be like, Hey, yeah. Give me the, just, direct click me in. How do I do this? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. I want to thank you so much. This has been like really amazing. Like, you know, as a parent who is not yet there, but like, we'll be there faster than faster than I blink of an eye. Um, so I really appreciate knowing this like in advance and like, hopefully our listeners who have teens or may have teens soon are like, Oh my God. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing (laughs) this. That's always my hope. If someone can find some benefit from it, that's always a joy. Yeah. So thanks again for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. And thank you to our listeners who join us every single week. Of course, I always encourage you to subscribe. It's super easy on Instagram, like living a better life podcast in the link in the bio, you can see all the different ways you can subscribe. You can also find us on all the podcasting platforms under living a better life. Um, so subscribe and like, please share this episode out. Like, yeah, if you know, anyone who has a teen or works with teens or, or has a kid who's like yeah. six, seven or eight, you know, yes. like share it now, share it, wide. share it now so that it's like in the parent's mind, like, okay, mm-hmm. when we get there, <laughs> got some tools i got some tools to get to get to so on that note we wish everybody a wonderful day Mm -hmm. and we'll connect next time on the podcast hey guys thanks for hanging out so as i mentioned at the beginning we have recently released a free mini training called how to work with labor pain to have a positive birth experience and in this mini training i take you through what pain is how labor pain is different than like an acute ankle sprain type of pain. I talk about the three different ways that you can work with pain. And then at the end, I actually teach three different ways that you can work with labor pain to have a more positive birth experience. If you would like to access this free mini training, you can go to courses.ecophysio.com dot com forward slash mini training or you can look in the description of today's podcast episode at the end of the description a link will be there for you to get the free mini training hope to connect with you there 
Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.